It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Twenty twenty two should have been a year to celebrate for British public broadcasting as the BBC celebrates its centenary and Channel 4 its 40th birthday. But instead, the government has announced plans to privatise Channel 4 and has signalled the end of the BBC licence fee. We will set Channel 4 free. The the licence fee model was, I think, introduced in 1946. Time's moved on. The announcements sent shockwaves through the media industry and led to a succession of pleas from Britain's biggest stars at last Sunday's BAFTAs. The BBC and Channel 4 are things that we have to hold tight and fight for inch, 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 every inch. Big up Channel 4. It's so important that like, the next Mo Gilligan or the next Judy Love or like, whoever like, can, can watch us and say, whoa, that's what I want to do. Even beyond the media industry, questions are being asked about why this has become a government priority. Is the licence fee really at the heart of the cost of living crisis? Or is this really about their long-standing vendetta against the BBC? Could these proposals change the UK's media landscape forever? Privatising Channel 4 and scrapping the licence fee will be generational decisions that will impact viewers and audiences for decades to come. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the future of British broadcasting. For Channel 4, the trouble really started three years ago in the run-up to the last election. In the UK, an election debate on climate change last night is stirring huge controversy this morning. Not so much for what was said, but for what the host network broadcast. Hasn't gone down well in certain quarters over here at all. Uh, The broadcaster, though, has defended the move in a statement. And this morning, Heather, there are even reports that some Tories are threatening to review Channel 4's public services broadcasting obligations if re-elected. So it was November 2019 and we were in the throes uh, of uh, an election campaign and Channel 4 News was hosting a debate about climate change in which it had invited all of the party leaders to take part. 
Our guide today is Jake Cantor, media correspondent at The Times. Boris Johnson was refusing to do election debates at that time. And Channel 4 said that it would proceed with the debate, but replace Boris Johnson with an ice sculpture. We kept the invitations open to the leaders of the Conservative Party and the Brexit Party. They have not taken up their places yet. Instead, a reminder, the ice caps are melting as politicians around the globe fail to cut greenhouse gas emissions in time to stop rising temperatures. And this infuriated the Conservative Party. They sent Michael Gove down to the studio and said that Michael Gove would participate in Boris Johnson's place. Will you be able to put me on the debate floor tonight? Uh, let me go and have a chat. Uh, but we, uh, we have got a spin room here, which uh, we have uh, absolutely allocated time for you if you want to come on in the spin room. It's very, very kind, and I appreciate the offer. But what I'd really like to do, if that's OK, is just to take part of the debate itself, because all the other parties will be represented. And I just think it's- Channel 4 News refused. And this kind of set the tone for what is seen as the relationship between Channel 4 News and the government there is a perception among many Tories and some of the audience that Channel 4 has a perceived left-wing bias. And what we're seeing with this particular moment is it has become symbolic of what we are now moving towards, which is the privatisation of Channel 4. And many in the Conservative Party and beyond believe that the government is doing this for ideological reasons, rather than for the benefit of the UK's broadcasting ecology. We'll come back to the privatisation of Channel 4 later, but it's not the only broadcaster the government has its eye on. Well, the government and the BBC have a hot and cold relationship. The government will always insist that they support the BBC and that the BBC is a beacon for British values around the world. But of course, there is a number of times where the BBC and the government have clashed over the years. And it's become even more pronounced, I think, since the Dean Dorries became the Culture Secretary in September last year. Nadine Dorries has quite a forthright, punchy approach to politics. She often is seen on Twitter pronouncing her views and taking individuals and broadcasters to task if she disagrees with them. It's quite a Trumpian brand of politics. Mm. And in January this year, Nadine Dorries memorably tweeted, This, the current multi-year licence fee announcement, will be the last. Which is a long way of saying the government plans to abolish the licence fee. And that will be the first time any government has done that in the BBC's 100-year history. And there was huge uproar. Can I say to my radical friend, I don't, I'm not impressed by either the process or the proposal, and I don't think it necessarily leads to progress either. She won't stop until her cultural vandalism has destroyed everything that's great about Britain. Vandalism is exactly what it is to tweet on a Sunday with no notice, no discussion or thought, the end to the unique funding of the BBC altogether without any clue as to what will replace it. 
So would the Honourable Lady like to indicate from a sedentary position, does she support freezing the licence fee for two years and helping those hard-pressed families? Does she support it? It blindsided the BBC. It was at the height of the Partygate scandal and people at the time suggested that the government was trying to use distraction techniques to move the story away from what was a troubling period of time for Downing Street. And very often, the BBC is a useful tool through which to do that. The BBC is not loved by certain wings of the UK media, and when the government decides to ask existential questions about the BBC, very often those unfriendly media will seize the opportunity to write about the BBC and to be critical of the BBC and to make clear to readers that there are better ways of funding the BBC. And Jake, what began as politicians making particular comments, a bit of a media campaign, is gradually becoming formalised. Tell us what's changed over the last week or two. Well, what's changed is we have uh, a government white paper which will pave the way for... uh, new media legislation here in the UK. That white paper sets out what the government's future policy on these issues will be. And they've made very clear that the licence fee is going to be scrapped, or that's at least their ambition. And probably the most radical proposal in that white paper was the privatisation of Channel 4. To understand how big a change this would be for the UK's media industry, we should really go back to where it all began a hundred years ago, to the first radio broadcast by what was then the British Broadcasting Company. Hello, Marconi House, London, calling. It was on the 14th of November 1922 when the BBC crackled into life. At around 5.33pm, a short news bulletin was read by Arthur Burroughs. To L.O. Marconi House, London. In 1927, the BBC was established by Royal Charter as the British Broadcasting Corporation. And in 1936, its first public broadcasts were made. The controllers are ready on vision and sound. The vision and sound are on. The station goes on the air. The first combined TV and radio licence was issued in June 1946. Since then, the BBC has expanded to include multiple TV channels, international, national and local radio, as well as extensive digital services, incorporating everything from news to educational resources. The BBC has grown to become the UK's biggest broadcaster in terms of the size of its audience and its influence. It is seen as one of the UK's great brands. It is certainly one of the UK's most recognisable brands overseas. The BBC is revered all over the world. What we have seen is a period in which the BBC comes into its own is during a time of national or international crisis. Mm. And we saw that at the height of the pandemic when the BBC was used as an important service in terms of getting correct information to people about what to do during the COVID-19 crisis. 
and it was a source of entertainment when people were locked in their homes. It provides that public service that the nation needs in times of crisis. We are seeing that again through the conflict in Ukraine, where uh, the BBC has several reporters on the ground producing remarkable journalism from the height of a conflict zone. And quite rightly, the government and the population holds the BBC in high esteem for those things. It has a lot of critics, though. People think that the BBC should not be receiving the kind of guaranteed income that it does. There are often arguments about the BBC wasting money and spending too much money on some of its biggest stars, people like Gary Lineker, Laura Koonsberg, and Hugh Edwards. And there are also ideological reasons why people don't believe in the BBC. They see it as a big market intervention when the UK's broadcasting ecology has several thriving commercial private sector broadcasters who may perform better if uh, they had access to the time that the BBC spends with audiences. Lots of people naturally gravitate to the BBC and it's sort of their default channel for many Mm. and commercial broadcasters envy that in some way. And Jake, I suppose over the years, many inhabitants of Number 10 have had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the BBC. Talk us through some of those moments when it's seemed like a lot of public debate is, is effectively a tussle between the national broadcaster and the prime minister. Governments of all colour have had issues with the BBC in the past. If you cast your mind back to Tony Blair's premiership, they obviously had an existential clash with the BBC over the so-called dodgy dossier on the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And that led to the Hutton report. And there was all sorts of catastrophic consequences for the BBC and its reporting on those issues. At six o'clock, Lord Hutton slams the BBC. Taking the blame, the corporation's chairman, Gavin Davis, has resigned. Tony Blair is cleared. Allegations that the dossier was sexed up were unfounded. But if you sort of flash forward to now, I mean, look, again, sticking with Labour, there was always a point of tension between Jeremy Corbyn and the BBC because the Labour Party felt that uh, the BBC lent too far into reporting on claims of anti-Semitism against Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, And then With the government itself, they have always believed the BBC to be biased on Brexit. In fact, Nadine Dorries, the Culture Secretary, said that BBC journalists were horrified at the result of Brexit and they could barely hide their disdain for the result on the morning after the vote results came in. She was like suggesting that journalists were sort of openly weeping about what had happened, even though there's no evidence to support that 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 was the case. And then, you know, even more recently, there's sort of always regular scuffles between the government and the BBC, two of which most recently have been over Partygate, which the government has grumbled that the BBC has devoted too much airtime to it and not enough to other issues that they believe matter. And then again, more recently, over the plan to deport uh, illegal immigrants to Rwanda, the government number 10 and Boris Johnson all 
grumbled that the BBC was not accurately reflecting the government's position. And it was ironic, I suppose, because you had a moment not that long ago when Nadine Doris seemed to be seemed to cry in Parliament while talking about the good work the BBC was doing. I'd just like to offer my heartfelt thanks and admiration to all of those journalists working for the BBC, the ITV and other news outlets who are risking their lives to bring us unbiased and accurate news from a live war zone. She did. Apparently she shed a tear, didn't she, in Parliament? But if she was shedding a tear in Parliament, then she's been sharpening her axe when it comes to the licence fee. And we're sort of very much back to the the standard government uh, BBC tussle in terms of the BBC's future. And if we're looking at how public sector broadcasting in this country has, has evolved, the other key moment really came 40 years ago when Channel 4 was set up. This is Channel 4, the new national television service broadcasting through the transmitters of the Independent Broadcasting Authority. Channel 4 starts today at 4.45, offering a variety of new and interesting programmes seven days a week. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be able to say to you, welcome to Channel 4. Tell us about that. What was its purpose and why was it created? So Channel 4 was set up by Margaret Thatcher. It was designed to do a couple of things. First of all, to create distinctive and innovative and diverse programming that differentiated from what was available on the likes of the BBC and ITV. And the second really far-sighted thing that Thatcher's government did was they designed Channel 4 as a publisher broadcaster, which means that Channel 4 commissions and acquires all of its programming from third parties. And in the main, that is independent production companies here in the UK. So Channel 4 was designed to help grow the production sector here in the UK. And it has completely helped do that. It has been a brilliant intervention for the UK's production sector. And the UK has one of the best production industries in the world. That is in a, in a large part down to the work that Channel 4 has done in growing small producers into to big producers. To give you an example of that, The Crown on Netflix, a massive mm. global show, enormous global show about our royal family. The producer of that is a company called Left Bank Pictures, which is run by a guy called Andy Harries. Andy Harries has been a producer for many, many years, but he credits Channel 4 for helping grow his company to a point where it was able to make something on the scale of the crown. Wow. So the model has, has clearly worked. Could you just explain, though, I mean, it's part of the public sector, but how does funding for Channel 4 actually work? I mean, do they receive taxpayer money? They don't have a licence fee in the way that the BBC does. So how do, how do funds make their way to Channel 4? Channel 4 is, is over 90% advertising funded. Uh, so all of the commercial breaks you get on your telly, that's how Channel 4 makes its money. It also uh, has a growing and thriving streaming service, which is also funded by advertising, it doesn't receive a penny from the government or from taxpayers. It is commercially sustainable 
and independent. And that is one of the big reasons that Channel 4 is trying to fight privatization because they are saying that the model works and we do not need to be sold because we are doing our job very well. Thank you very much. And you mentioned how much Channel 4 had managed to do for the independent sector. What would privatisation mean for independent production companies? Well, this is one of the big arguments against privatisation and for privatisation. The government believes that to secure Channel 4's future and make sure that it is sustainable in an environment where we have giant companies like Netflix starting to dominate viewing behaviour here in the UK. The government says that Channel 4 needs to be released from the shackles of public ownership to access greater capital. And one of the ways that the government wants to allow Channel 4 to access greater, uh, greater sources of revenue is by removing the prohibition on Channel 4 making its own shows. And producers here in the UK are really anxious about that prospect. They believe that Channel 4 is a really important market intervention, which still continues to support lots of thriving, small, independent producers, not just in London, but across the entire country, in the nations and the regions. And without Channel 4, the theory is that some of those companies will go bust because they rely so heavily on being able to make programmes for Channel 4. Uh, Channel 4's own analysis suggests that up to 60 production companies could go bust as a result of privatisation. Coming up, how and what might you be watching if these proposals go through? That's after a quick word from a colleague. Hi, this is Tom Whipple, Science Editor for The Times. Thanks for listening. By doing so, you enable me to keep pace with the rapidly changing developments in the coronavirus pandemic and more. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one free month. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The government's interest in privatising the BBC or Channel 4 uh, or, you know, at least removing the licence fee, some of that might be politically motivated. But in addition to that, I suppose we really need to look at how much the world of broadcasting has changed in that century since the BBC was first formed. I mean, tell us about some of the recent changes to the media landscape. 
Well, the last time we had a major update to UK broadcasting laws was 2003. So we're talking nearly 20 years ago. And even in that 20-year period, broadcasting has changed beyond recognition. In 2003, Netflix was a DVD postal company. It is now one of the most influential streaming companies in the world. In fact, arguably the most. It certainly has the biggest number of subscribers, over 200 million subscribers around the world. So you've gone from an environment where people were mainly watching TV and sticking to one of five channels to this kind of explosion in content on demand every night of the week. And the government are saying that this update to legislation in the UK is overdue and the changes that they are making are completely necessary for our UK broadcasters to survive and to thrive in this kind of global landscape. And Jake, I suppose we've all become used to consuming media in a really different way now. You know, we watch things on demand rather than live, we're streaming. Is there a danger though that you know, we're still at the very start of this revolution. Is there a chance that models like Netflix, for example, might not work, might not make money in the future? Well, they are working. I think there's enough evidence to support that at the moment. Netflix itself is not immune from difficulty. They've just posted uh, a very difficult set of financials in which subscribers dropped by more than 200,000 and are forecast to drop by another 2 million over the next three months. So we're in an environment where these streaming services may have had the best days of growth, but there's no doubt that that model of uh, of broadcasting, that on-demand, is here to stay. It's just how many players are going to be doing that in the future. Streaming services like Netflix, I mean, they've make some phenomenal documentaries, but they don't do news in the same way as, say, the BBC does, which is an expensive business. How would funding for the BBC work? Presumably it wouldn't be exactly like Netflix, because would they still be able to do the news in the same way if it was? Well, this is going to be the great big question that will need to be answered over the next five years. And the government is going to start that process in the coming months. There are lots of different options on the table, one of which is subscription, as you say, the sort of Netflix model, or potentially a hybrid model where you have subscription and some public funding. That has been suggested by the likes of John Whittingdale, the former culture secretary. So the idea being that you would have a streaming service for the BBC's biggest entertainment shows, things like Strictly Come Dancing, or line of duty, and people would have to pay to access those shows. And the government then supports more public service programming like the news, like arts documentaries. Nadine Dorries has talked about fairness. She's hinted at the fact that government might look at things like tying the BBC's funding to uh, household earnings or to council tax bans so that the richest in the UK pay more for the BBC or contribute more to the BBC. And what about the the future of Channel 4? I mean, there's obviously been quite a lot of opposition from the public, but also from within the Tory party itself. Do we think the privatisation will go ahead? The former leader of the Scottish Conservatives, herself a Channel 4 star, was among senior Tories to round on the government. I'm baffled as to what the government is thinking. Firstly, that it thinks that this is a priority right now, but two, that they would think that 
even members of their own party would like the idea of selling off British cultural assets. So it's going to take uh, a couple of years to get this through Parliament. It's probably not going to be a straightforward process. The government is almost certainly going to face opposition from backbench Tory MPs. One source has suggested to me that there could be between 30 and 50 Tory MPs who may decide to oppose the privatisation of Channel 4. Now, that number seems a bit ambitious to me, but I think it's clear that there are some influential voices in the Conservative Party who have reservations. People like Julian Knight, who is the chair of the Commons Culture Select Committee. He has raised questions about this. Someone like Damien Green, who is a Tory party grandee, he has said that it's a bad idea. So you've got Tory MPs on record talking about this issue and voicing their anxiety. And I think the danger here for the government is that it sucks up political capital, political time, political goodwill, and doesn't deliver huge rewards at the ballot box. And I suppose it sort of gets down to an essential contradiction within the party itself. You know, you've got one wing who want to preserve national institutions and another wing who sort of think the market will work better if it's privatised. That's right. It's sort of these sort of existential Tory battles, aren't they? <laughs> and they're playing out in the in the TV industry at the moment. I think one of the things that I find fascinating in all of this, I mean, the the the, the DCMS has always been sort of painted as the department of fun. And that's no longer the case. They are at the heart of some of the biggest policy decisions that this government is going to make. Privatising Channel 4 and scrapping the licence fee will be generational decisions that will impact viewers and audiences for decades to come. Jake, you watch the industry more closely than all of us. Are you optimistic about British broadcasting and its ability to compete with the big international streaming giants in the future? I am optimistic, yeah. I'm naturally an optimist. <laughs> but I do think we well, have a world we, we, we have a world we have a world class TV and radio industry here in the UK. We have some of the greatest talent on this planet. And that is because we have a brilliant public service broadcasting tradition here in the UK. And we have alongside that a world-beating production industry worth billions and billions of pounds. And I hope that the changes that the government makes preserves those two things because they are just as important to our sort of cultural way of life, our cultural well-being, the the way we consume TV and radio, but also economically they are real growth engines in this country. So it's important that we get it right. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, media correspondent at The Times, Jake Cantor. You can read all of Jake's work on the BBC and Channel 4 at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.